Well, um, I have this crazy privilege, uh, thanks to, again, a lot of you, to get to travel around, bringing people all over the world to do the work of Jesus in a number of different ways. And uh, I'll tell you what, Jesus in the last few years has, has messed me up. Uh, he's really blown up a lot of my boxes of, of who I understood Jesus to be and, and how he operates. And uh, one of the things that I got to do a couple years ago is uh, go off to D.C. I go every year to D.C. with a friend of mine, Bob. And uh, Bob has taught me a ton about Jesus uh, just by watching him, the way that he interacts with people. And we flew out to D.C. to go to this thing called the National Prayer Breakfast, which is where kind of uh, leaders from all over the world come in once a year, uh, the first weekend of February, to gather really around the person of Jesus and pray for one another and encourage one another, uh, most of which, a lot of them are not followers of Jesus, but, you know, they've heard something about Jesus that's been intriguing to them. And so they come to this thing, and, and they get loved on, they get encouraged. And so my first year going off to D.C., I remember, you know, all I got was one of these, like, texts from Bob, like, hey, buddy, you want to come to D.C. with me in February? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And, like, that was all the information I got. <laughs> uh, that was it. Just get on a plane and be here by Wednesday. And so uh, I show up on Wednesday. I still have no idea where I'm going. I just show up on Wednesday. You know, he says, meet me in my hotel room, sends me that. Um, you know, bring a suit is basically the itinerary that I got. And uh, so I came in with my suit, and he's like, all right, throw your suit on. Uh, we got to go meet the Ukrainians in five minutes. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but okay, I'm putting my suit on, and I'm getting ready, and I'm throwing my tie on. He goes, okay, here's the deal, Mike. This whole week, I got four rules. And I'm not a big rules guy, but here's the four things that I want to I tell you. I'm like, all right. So I'm putting my suit on, putting my shirt on. And he's like, first off, we're not going to handshake anybody. We're just going to hug them. I'm like, okay. He goes, no, no really, I, I promise you. It doesn't matter if it's the vice president of Ukraine. You hug him. You know, his bodyguards are going to be fine. And I'm like, all right, I can do that. I can, no handshaking. I'll hug. He goes, the second thing we're going to do is we're not going to talk about ourselves. I'm like, okay. He goes, yeah, you, you might be asking. It's not that we're doing something secret. It's just, you know how many conversations you have with somebody when all you're doing is thinking about what you're going to say next as opposed to actually listening to the person? Am I the only one that does that? But, you know, when someone's talking, you're like, okay, I'm going to wait for them to finish, and then I'm going to kind of do this. He goes, we're not going to do that. We're not going to talk about ourselves. The third thing we're going to do is we're going to ask the meaningful questions that nobody else asks. We're going to ask questions like, what do you put your hope in? Who cares for you? Who's your, who's your friends? Who's your support? Um, you know, do you, uh, what do you need help with? Uh, the questions that just nobody really asks. And the fourth one, I'm like, okay, I can do all those three. I'm getting my suit on, you know, or a minute away from meeting the Ukrainians. And again, I'm a product of the 80s, so that to me, I'm like, I don't, Ukrainians, I'm thinking like back to the future, isn't that the guys the plutonium's from? Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, but I'm like, all right, I'm going into this meeting. The last thing he said is, he says, Mike, you need to learn to hate your own sin more than you hate the sin of other people. And I just started weeping. Uh, you know, he goes, Mike, we're going to meet some people that, you know, are in pretty high places of influence and power, and the way that they got there probably wasn't really good. Uh, and, and you can have some judgments, but those judgments and those ways that you look at others is going to impact the way that you actually engage with them. And if you can learn to hate your own sin more than you hate the sin of other people, you're going to be able to go into these with a ton of grace and love and mercy. And I remember that just, that, 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 those four things have impacted and shaped the way that I've pursued Jesus over the last few years. Um, we did, we went and went, met with these Ukrainian guys, and um, again, having no idea who I was going to meet, and um, you know, I'm just going up and hugging people. That's, like, that's what I was told to do. And Ukrainians, I don't know if you've met most of them. Anybody from Ukraine in here? No? None? One? Well, okay. Usually, like, 
like really quite just, you know, big guys, got kind of burly, not really huggers, you know? Uh, they're, they're not, so I'd go up and hug, and I'd, like, I'd be the only one hugging, you know? And they'd kind of just be standing here like this. Um, but I met this one guy uh, that um, was the president's uh, kind of right-hand guy, kind of like the proxy for the president. If the pre- president can't make it somewhere, he goes. And I remember giving him a hug and really just, you know, kind of cold, kind of, you know, staunch in that way, and sat down, didn't speak a lot of English. And I remember, you know, he was basically wanting to ask me stuff because I don't think he really wanted to talk. And I remember I started asking him questions like, so like, you know, who are you? What are you about? What do you put your hope in? And he was kind of like looking at me with that kind of, wow, okay, start sharing a little bit. And I said, you know, um, tell me like about your family. And he kind of started to get choked up a little bit. And I said, oh, where, where, you know, what, what's your family like? He said, well, I've got a wife and I've got a son. I said, oh, tell me about your son. And he started getting kind of teary. And he said, well, my son lives in California. He has Down syndrome. And we don't have any hospitals or medicine or anything that can help in Ukraine. And so my wife and my son live full time in California. And I see them about three times a year. And they know nobody. They don't know anybody in California, so they're, I just, she's like, my heart breaks for them because I feel like they're just alone and, and that no one's caring for them and that they have no friends and it's just really hard. And here's this Ukrainian guy who in the beginning was just this tough guy, was, was starting to break down and weep and at the end he's hugging me, I'm saying, man, can I, I, I live in Portland, that's just up the street from California. Um, <laughs> Is there any way that I can, can, can just go love on your, your, fo- your, your family? Or can, can I, I've got friends in California. Can we get them to go over and, and care for them? And, and just the fact that I was offering that up and, and, and asking in that way, he, he just started being so real and, and gave me this huge hug at the end, tears going down my shoulder. Um, I'm sure the rest of the guys were looking over going, what in the world is going on over there in the Ukrainian room? But um, it's amazing when we... When we hug and we, we, we break through some of those barriers. I just think that's the way Jesus would do it. Don't you think? Like Jesus wouldn't, just, I, I don't think Jesus did handshakes. I'm, I bet you he hugged a lot of people. Uh, and I, I think that he would break into the real heart of the issue and actually talk about others and find out who they are and, and engage. And, and that's just the kind of person that, you know, I want to be because I think that's the way that Jesus would be. Um, I think when we engage in the scriptures with that kind of mindset, that kind of view, I think we can start to see how much Jesus was doing this in his day. He was blowing up people's paradigms and boxes all the time. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with, to me with uh, Matthew 9, uh, verse 10. I've got it up on the screen too, so if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and read it up here. Here's a story. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I, I think we read this verse like with our Christianese kind of eyes, you know, like we get it. Jesus was hanging out with, you know, sinners and tax collectors and I'm the sinner and I'm the tax collector and Jesus loves me. So he wants to hang out with me and he wants to be my buddy. Like that's the way we kind of have heard and read this verse. But if you realize how much he was busting up and breaking down the paradigm of the day, he was blowing up the box of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that were the religious elites that he's blowing up that box saying, you know what, that's not what I'm about. You guys are missing the main thing. 
I want more. I want, you know, I'm here to heal the sick, the brokenhearted. And um, one way that this has kind of come up uh, in the last few years, you guys remember, who was here last year when I spoke? I'm sure a bunch of you were. Okay, I told you a story about um, some witch doctors, right, in Uganda. Uh, For those that weren't here, um, you know, I got to travel to Uganda a whole bunch, and uh, we're hanging out with these witch doctors, and uh, we're we're getting to share to them. Basically, in in Uganda, about close to 1,000 kids a year go missing uh, due to child sacrifice. Uh, They're still performing a ton of just really gnarly, really horrible things going on there. And so we wanted to meet with all these witch doctors and kind of talk about the laws in Uganda, which just got passed in 2008, that, you know what, we can't do that anymore. You can't sacrifice kids anymore. Uh, it's just, you, you'll go to prison for the rest of your life. And I know that sounds silly to us, but like this has been going on for a long time in Uganda. And so we're sharing this with the, with the witch doctors and sharing the law. And then at the end, you'd think we'd go in and just kind of like fear of God, like no more sacrificing kids. And we did that. Uh, but after that, we pulled out some water and we sat and we washed the witch doctor's feet. Every single one of them, there's like 150 in the room. And we just went around and we washed their feet and we shared about Jesus. And we, we, it was just this amazing uh, moment. Well, fast forward, I wanted to keep you up to date. We've gone further than just meeting with some of the witch doctors and washing their feet and telling them about Jesus. Uh, we actually started a school, a witch doctor school, and it's not Hogwarts, okay? This is... Uh, this is um, literally hundreds of witch doctors that are coming to get to learn English. Okay, we're teaching them English because what we've realized is that a lot of these people are out in the bush. They don't know how to speak English. They can't even read the laws that are being produced for them. They have no uh, concept of that. So like, well, why don't we like, teach them English? Well, so what we did was we grabbed the Bible and a copy of Love Does, and we taught them English with those two books. <laughs> That's what they're getting. They're getting loving people like Love Does, and they're getting the Bible. And, and we're opening up the Bible and sharing the scriptures and getting to you. We just graduated this last year, a hundred of the first witch doctors graduating from witch doctor school. How cool is that? Isn't that amazing? And, and they're, they're learning about Jesus. Like, that's what they're doing. They're reading through the scriptures and learning about Jesus. And they're going, hey, I, I want to learn more and more about this Jesus. This is the kind of person that, that we want to follow and we're getting calls from witch doctors saying, you know, where do, I, where do I learn more about Jesus? We're hooking them up with pastors in their area. It's beautiful. Well, uh, just about two months ago, um, uh, friend Bob uh, got this phone call and he's, uh, from one of the witch doctors saying, Bob, we know of this witch doctor that's got a kid. Uh, and, and, and we want to know if we can go rescue the kid. <laughs> And Bob's like, yeah, go rescue the kid. Like, go get the kid. And so the witch doctors went in and actually rescued the kid that was about to get sacrificed. And now we've actually got witch doctors that are like on our team going out and rescuing kids throughout Uganda. I mean, this is amazing what Jesus is doing all over the world. And this is a bunch of witch doctors. If I had told you two years ago, hey, we're thinking about partnering with some witch doctors to save kids in Uganda, what do you guys think? And that's just not the Christian conversation we're having these days. Uh, you know, it's not the thing that we're talking about in churches. And, and, and yet, I just think Jesus is so much bigger than that. Jesus is going, I want all of you. It's a process. It's not this like, you know, you're saved and that's it. It's like, I just keep engaging with him and engaging with him. And at some point, we go, I want to follow this Jesus more than I want to follow this God or more than I want to follow this person or this idea. And Jesus becomes the center. And I just think God's doing that all over the place. Uh, turn with me to Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. 
One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Again, I love this. Jesus is totally blowing up paradigms all over the place. There were so many rules and laws that, that the Jews were supposed to follow. And Jesus is coming along going like, I'm going to simplify this thing for you. Love God, love others, and do some stuff with that. Like, that's it. Like, love God and love others and go and show that to people. And I think that, I mean, if I was there, if I was hearing this first time, this would have blown up my box and all my ideas and what I'm supposed to eat and all these conversations that I think we have. How many times you get wrapped up in a Christian conversation around some sort of theology and it's just, we start arguing, we start talking about it. And I just think Jesus half the time is going, guys, love me, go love other people. Like, let's do that together. Let's point people to Jesus. And I know I'm simplifying it, but I just think that Jesus is pretty simple. Love God, love others, and do stuff. Uh, there's a slide up. I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine. Uh, this is Sister Rosemary. Sister Rosemary is uh, living in northern Uganda in a place called Gulu. Uh, Sister Rosemary's been there for decades, um, doing some just insane work. When I first met Sister Rosemary, uh, I was in a hotel. I was coming down into the restaurant. I was supposed to meet some friends down there. And I come downstairs, and along the bar is like eight nuns all drinking Guinness. And I'm like, you are my people. <laughs> and I went up and I sat up at the bar with them, and, and they, had, they were mixing Guinness and Coke. It was really about, I'm like, hey, well, I, I'll, when in Rome, you know, I'll give it a shot. So, um, you know, I, I, I sat with this Sister Rosemary and started hearing some of her stories, and this woman loves Jesus. I mean, she loves Jesus, and she so badly just wants every single day to wake up and serve the king. And uh, Sister Rosemary was up there in the north when the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army, was coming in and taking over areas. And they came in and they took over her whole compound. She's got this huge compound where she's got a hospital and a school for kids and this amazing training institute I'll tell you about in a second. But um, she's got this big place and the LRA came in and took it all over. And they just held it captive for a couple weeks and um, with all the nuns in there and all the kids and everything. And, and uh, they were about to leave after a couple weeks, and uh, they were leaving. It was a really, really hot time of the year. And they were leaving, and Sister Rosemary runs up to the guard as they're just about to go and says, hey, if you guys are leaving and it's this hot, you did not take enough water with you. Can you imagine? Like, these are like the people that have had you at gunpoint taking over your compound, and she, her heart's breaking going, man, you guys, you're not going to make it out there in the heat. You need to take more water with you. And the guard looks at her, and you could tell, like, the wheels were just turning. I mean, just cranking. And uh, after a few minutes, he runs back into the uh, nun's area where they live and pulls out all the grenades out of the oven that he had left with the oven cranked on to blow the place up. And because Sister Rosemary had this heart of compassion, this love that broke away every barrier, saying, you know what? No, it's, it's bigger than this. I'm going to continue to be Jesus to my enemies, to, to my friends, to whoever. And, and I mean, I, just, I hear that. I go, oh, my goodness, I'm not worthy. I mean, it's unbelievable. This is a gal that is saying, you know what? I want to love God, and I want to love others, and I want to do stuff. And that's what she's doing. Sister Rosemary's got this incredible um, 
training institute, essentially, for kids. And we're going to talk a lot about kids kind of at the tail end of, of, of this time. Um, but what she's done is she said, you know what, kids that age out of the system at 18, uh, 17, kind of in, in that age frame, a lot of these countries actually, when they're in homes and like an orphanage, uh, by law, they've got to get out by the time that they're 18. It's actually just law. They need to get out. And so she sees this and goes, you know what, we can't have kids that we're feeding and pouring into and, and you know, discipling and all that kind of stuff, and then at 18, just head out onto the street. And so she built a school to be able to train people to be hairdressers and sewers and um, mechanics and just all of these different opportunities for people to have some life skills so they can actually be a um, betterment in, the, in their, their neighborhood and their community. Um, this woman loves Jesus. I'll tell you what blew up this box, and I can be vulnerable. Um, you know, I, for the longest time, I'm like, I don't even know, you know, she's Catholic. I mean, I, I had this, this almost like prejudgment, and maybe it's, it's, I know it's sin, going like, well, Catholics aren't saved. They need Jesus. They got really messed up theology. I, that was like my old way of thinking, just not understanding. And yet I meet this Catholic woman that I'll tell you what, she is more a follower of Jesus than most people I know. This woman loves the Lord. And she wants to follow Jesus and represent. And she's sharing Jesus with everybody that she knows. That blew up a box for me. That blew up a paradigm that I was understanding of what, what's really important when it comes to following Jesus. Just throw another picture up here. I want to introduce you a couple more of my friends. Melissa and I just had the opportunity. We were in Zimbabwe for two weeks. Uh, and then we just got back from Brussels. We were in Brussels for a week. And um, it was another one of those really crazy invites from a friend who basically texted me and said, hey, do you want to come to Brussels with me for a week and, and help host this, um, this prayer breakfast thing? And Melissa and I are like, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll go do that. That's, again, all the information I got. We showed up in Brussels not even knowing where it was or anything, but we had our suits. But in this picture, I want to introduce you. This is the prince and princess of Belgium. Uh, the prince is on the right and the princess is on the left. And um, I bring this up not to say, oh, guess what? I got to hang up with the Prince and Prince of Belgium. Um, I'm, I'm a nobody Canadian kid, okay? I'm like, a, I've got no education, I've got no, no rights to be here. But here's the deal these two love Jesus. These guys have such a heart for Jesus in their nation. So much so that the prince and princess, and they could do just fine kind of sitting back and doing their monarch thing and everything else. Uh, but what they're passionate about is they're passionate about opening up a home where they can bring in members of parliament, people from all over the European Union to come and have an experience with Jesus. Like just, just to be hospitable to love on them, to have these people that come in from all over the place that normally got to stay in hotels or in kind of these crusty, you know, EU buildings or what have you. They're like, no, we want to bring them into our living room and we want to show them who Jesus is by loving them and by like feeding them food and praying for them. And if there's conflicts going on in countries, we want them to come and hang out in our house. And we want to be the people that love them and show them what Jesus is like. I mean, this is, you, you've got, you know, these two people that could totally just do whatever they want, and they're like, we want to be about Jesus. Like, that's them. I love that. I mean, it was just so humbling hanging out with them going, like, you guys could have anything that you want, and what you want is you want this house for Jesus. That's just crazy to me, especially from here being in the West where we get to pretty much have whatever we want, especially around Christmas time. We get to choose whatever we want, and the choices they're making are saying, we want this house just to be about Jesus. I love that. Um, there's one more scripture. I didn't put it up there, but Matthew 15. If you've got a Bible, Matthew 15.
Verse 1. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Again, getting caught up in these, like, these rules, these, these, I, I even call them in today's day, like these Christianese type, just ways that we kind of operate, we just kind of assume. Here they are just saying, you know, why, why do they do this? And Jesus replies, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, what, uh, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You know, I mean, I... I'm a pastor, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm spending time in the scriptures, I get to you know, listen to all these incredible teachers from all over the place to come and teach and, and engage uh, with me, and I feel like sometimes I think I've got it figured out. And then I went and met uh, this friend of mine, this is the last story I'll tell before inviting a friend up, um, this friend, and I called him earlier, this is a guy, this is getting podcasts, but um, uh, this is a friend of mine that we met a number of years ago, his name's Moonzer, and Moonzer is uh, a Muslim that loves Jesus. He would consider himself, I'm a Muslim follower of Jesus. And I remember when I heard that, I'm just like, wait a minute, huh? And I'm like, what do you, tell, tell me more about this, Moonzer. And he goes, well, you know, my culturally, I'm, I'm Muslim. I grew up, um, you know, in Lebanon. Uh, my family's Muslim. I eat, eat kosher Muslim food. I pray on a mat five times a day. I face a certain direction. I mean, I'm, I'm Muslim, but I follow Jesus. And I remember going like, I, I don't know. In my mind, I'm obviously, I'm like, I, I don't know how that's possible. But I start hearing and listening to him and how much this guy loves Jesus. He worships Jesus. When he prays on his mat, he prays to Jesus. And he tells me, I remember asking him, like, how does this, like, what, how does this all work? He goes, Mike, if, if I just left this whole uh, uh, Muslim thing, which I wouldn't do because I'm Muslim. That's who I am. Uh, how would I be able to reach my family? How would I be able to reach my friends? How would I be able to uh, engage in that way? If I stop doing these things, I can't actually talk to them about Jesus. I can't actually engage because I'd be, I'd be kicked out. I wouldn't be allowed in my country. I wouldn't be allowed the influence that I have. And so I continue to be, because you know what? I've read through this thing, and I don't find a place where Jesus tells me that I can't eat what a Muslim eats. I, I don't see in here where it tells me that I'm not allowed to do that. I don't see in here where it tells me that I, I'm not allowed to face a certain direction when I pray. I just, I'm supposed to worship Jesus, so I'm going to do that. And I remember this just blowing up my box. I'm like, how is this, this possible? But I'll tell you what, Moonzer is one of the deepest followers of Jesus that I know. My wife and I have gotten a ton of time with him to sit down, and man, the guy just oozes Jesus. I know he's leading people to Jesus all the time. He just wants to talk about Jesus. That's his deal. 
And Munzer um, was pretty high up, kind of within uh, some of the government stuff going on with the Iraq war, and uh, he was working for the U.S., and he actually worked in D.C., worked with uh, Rumsfeld uh, really closely, and he told me this story, he told us this story, this was last year, um, and it just felt like we were sitting at like, like the Muslim Santa Claus's feet, I love this guy, I don't know how to explain him any other ways, just this joyful, amazing, you just think, like Melissa calls him, like he's just like, like Santa Claus, I love this guy, he's the Lebanese Santa Claus, um, mixed with Jesus. So he, uh, uh, he's sharing, and he's going, you know, Mike, we were, um, I, was, I was hanging out with this mentor of mine, this guy named Doug, and um, I was going and meeting with the uh, French ambassador. And uh, in meeting with the French ambassador, I was, I was sitting there with him, and I felt in my spirit that Jesus was telling me that I was supposed to pray. And I, you know what? I've never prayed out loud before with other people. I mean, Muslims don't do that. We pray on our mat. We pray to, to God, and that's it. So I'd never prayed with others. I'd never prayed, with, prayed out loud, and so I just didn't pray, even though I felt like Jesus was saying, pray. And so he left, and he went into the car with his buddy, this mentor, Doug, and he's like, Doug, I felt like I was supposed to pray. And Doug's going, oh, Moonzer, the next time that happens, you got to pray, buddy. Like, if Jesus is saying pray, just pray. And he goes, okay, I will commit to you the next time that Jesus kind of calls me to pray. I'm going to pray no matter where I'm at, no matter who I'm with. It doesn't matter. It's like, awesome. The next day, uh, he's sitting in Rumsfeld's office. And, and Rumsfeld, he's telling me, like, Rumsfeld's like all business. Like, he just, you just feel like he's always mad at you, like always. And he's sitting in this office, and, and he's finishing up, and he's getting ready to go, and he goes to open up the door. And just as he's opening up the door, he feels Jesus going, Moonzer, you're supposed to pray. And he goes, no, 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 God, no, no, you, no. And he just, it gets stronger and stronger. And he's like, oh, man, I told Doug I would pray. And he's opened the door, and, and, Rum, and he's kind of frozen. And Rumsfeld's like, Moonzer, you know, everything okay? And he turns around, and he's like, uh, Mr. Mo- uh, Mr. Rumsfeld, sir, uh, would it be okay if we pray? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, come on in, sit down. And this smile went over Rumsfeld's face. And they sat down, and Munzer's like following him because Rumsfeld sat down and closed his hands and closed his eyes. So Munzer's like, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. He's never done this before, right? He doesn't know how to pray. There's no like, so he sits down and he closes his eyes. He's kind of got one eye open. He's looking and he, you know, he prays with Jesus. Um, I just thank you for Mr. Rumsfeld and this other guy that was with him. And, and would you just continue to, to work out uh, what's going on in your plan in, in Israel and, and, and uh, in, in Afghanistan and just in the Middle East? We just, we just pray for your wisdom, and we love you, and we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And he stands up, but, but Rumsfeld and the other guy are still sitting down. So he's like, sits back down, and he closes his arm, closes his eyes, and he's like kind of peeking. And then, you know, the other guy prays, and then Rumsfeld prays. And then they get up, and he gets up, and he's, you know, just like, ah. And Rumsfeld looks at me and goes, Munzer, you should never be embarrassed to pray. Why don't you come by my office once a week, and we'll just pray together. Now, this is a Muslim man who loves Jesus, that wants to follow him in every way, and it just blows up my box. And I, I don't know how it all works. I, I don't. I don't have the answers for you. But I know we're supposed to love God, we're supposed to love others, we're supposed to do stuff, and these guys are doing stuff. I want to introduce you to um, a dear friend who's doing stuff. Uh, you know, when I get to travel all over the world, specifically in sub-Saharan Africa, the education system, um, what's happening with kids, we've been sponsoring kids uh, in homes for a long time. A lot of the money that you give goes to run orphanages and homes all over the world, in Uganda and Zimbabwe and all over. 
Um, and as I said, at 18, most of these homes, by law, these kids will age out of that, that foster care type system and be sent out into the world. 5% uh, of them are going to go to university, which means 95% of them will not go into university, most of which will never get jobs, will go back into a village, maybe do farming, maybe sell cell phone minutes on the street, what have you. They'll, they'll try to find anything they can do, but for the most part, um, they're, they're out. And Melissa and I have been traveling around in the last few years, been really convicted about what is the future of our kids? What is the future of these homes that we've been pouring money and time and energy and love and Jesus into uh, once they age out and leave? And um, I'm really excited to introduce you to a dear friend of mine that I think has at least one of the answers. Uh, one way that we as a church, we as a body can actually get together and impact these kids to a point where they can grow up and become leaders of those countries. Um, and so you guys got to see him on the video. Here's the deal. Sunset, you guys always get hosed, I feel like, right, when it comes to guest speakers. Like everyone's at Westside or everyone's downtown. Uh, and we said, you know what, forget this. We're going to bring Justin out to sunset. No one else got him. You guys are the only ones. I just want to let you know that. Um, and so, uh, will you uh, just give me a huge warm welcome to Justin Zarati, founder of these numbers out there. Good job, man. Do you need this thing? Whatever. You don't need That's it? No. You're good? No, we're good. All right. Hi, everyone. My well, chair's a little wobbly. Was that? Yours a, I gave you the wobbly one. Do you, you want to trade? No, no, we're good. You're okay? It's okay. Yeah, it's All right. Okay. I've eaten a bunch of donuts lately, so it's I wanted my stronger one. Anyways, we got back from Belgium. There's a lot of waffles. I had like a waffle every <laughs> single day. It was, it was kind of my goal. Um, well, Justin, man, seriously, so good. What you guys don't know is Justin and I have been friends for like eight years now. Uh, he moved up into Portland from California. Yep. And um, uh, kind of instantaneous friends right from the moment that you got up met through some some other people that we knew yep and uh so why don't you tell us a little bit um of kind of just what you're doing with these numbers and sure. um a little of the story of how this whole thing got started yeah um guys thank you so much for having me uh these numbers have faces we're a global education nonprofit. we invest in african students to lead and to empower their countries and so in 2006 uh, I had the chance to travel to Cape Town, South Africa. Africa was not on my radar whatsoever. I was there building houses with Habitat for Humanity, and the Lord was just up to something, and I had no idea what on earth was going on. And what happened was I just met all these amazing high school students, talented students, graduating in the top 10, the top 20 of their high school class. They had dreams to be doctors and lawyers and business owners, but they couldn't attend college and actually learn the skills that you would need to actually do those things. And I just kind of, I just kept meeting so many students saying, Justin, this is my chance to lift my family out of poverty. I was the top three, the top five student in my high school. I want to do some, something amazing that is going to change my family forever. But because we are poor, because there's few scholarships, there's few loans, I'm going to be sitting at home. Uh, I'll be farming with my parents. I'll be working at a gas station. I'll be selling cell phone minutes. Um, and my heart kind of broke for that. I felt God doing something. I left South Africa. I moved up here to Portland. I started grad school up at PSU. And one day I was sitting in the park blocks where they do the farmer's market there. And uh, the Lord kind of leaned in and he said, Justin, 
Are you going to deny for others what you demand for yourself? Are you going to take opportunities for you and not allow others to have the same opportunities? And that was a convicting moment for me, mm -hmm. to say the least. So I got up and I walked to Powell's Books and I bought a book, How to Start and Build a Nonprofit Organization. <laughs> and uh, from the couch of my apartment. Was it one of those yellow ones? Like yeah, the, the like, like the dummy dummies. guide. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And uh, I didn't want to say that, but you did. No, so that's, well, that's where I go. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just feel like a dummy. <laughs> and uh, I rallied my friends and family uh, on the, uh, the couch of my apartment, and we started These Numbers Have Faces, the goal to help one of my friends in South Africa go to college. That was five years back. Uh, the Lord has been so faithful. And now we run programs in South Africa, Rwanda, Uganda, the Democratic Republic of Congo. We're launching a new program in Zimbabwe next year. Our work will impact about 350 students this year. So it's been a wild ride. Wow. Yeah. I love it. One thing that impresses me so much when I get to talk with you and kind of hear is, is your model and mm -hmm. how you guys actually mm -hmm. do what you do. Can yeah. you explain a little bit about your model? Yeah, so actually with the next slide on it, um, the model is just crucial. Um, we don't just send kids to college and say, right, good luck on you, hope it all goes well, because um, our job is, is about empowering future leaders of these countries. And so what we do is that we provide a leadership loan for an ambitious but underprivileged student to then attend a top African university, but the loan is a social impact loan, so then they pay back a portion of their loan back into the program so that a new student can attend college behind them. Uh, and then all of our students, really the soul of our work though, is that they, that, is that they also join our community impact program, or they do community service, they do leadership training, discipleship training, entrepreneurship training, and they join a family of friends, so dozens of other students just like them who they can lean on during college. And we found that really that is the key to our success. It is that family, that support structure. We found that a student in rural Uganda whose parents are farmers, even if he or she is the best student in their entire high school, when they show up to the big city, to the, the, the big school, they are going to fail because they don't have a support structure around them. And so we provide that. I was in South Africa last month, and I asked one of our students, what's your favorite thing about these numbers have faces? I'm expecting her, her to say, will you give me a loan so I can go to business school? And she says, my favorite thing is that this program has become my family now. And that is just the most important thing to us. And that's why I think that we've actually been successful. Mm, I love that. Yeah. What, um, tell us about like your, like the bigger vision. Like what's the next 10 years? Like, I, yeah. We're excited about getting behind these numbers have faces, but like yeah. what's like the big vision that we're gonna see in the next kind of 10 years, I hope? Yeah, the big vision is impacting thousands of young leaders. Thousands of young, of young leaders that, are, that are, are going to have massive impact kind of across all sectors and all of our, of our countries. So we select students from six main fields, uh, medicine, law, business, science, engineering, and technology. And we choose those fields because in our, in our research, we found that those are the fields that in 20 years' time, those students are then going to be a part of the decision-making class. They are the ones that are going to be affecting public policy, governance, uh, business, law, health, economics, you know? And so that is so, so crucial. But that's, that's really also only half of it, because it's also about, about moral um, leadership. It's about integrity. It's about Christ-centered leadership. We want students that are smart, yes, but that who love God and who love others. Mm. And when you combine 
br brilliant, top-level students with someone who has a heart for God and a heart for, for, for others, that is a deadly combination. Like, that is when cool crap happens, honestly. <laughs> and so we just love we that, doing that. We can, yeah, yeah sorry. No, no, and so, um, okay. yeah. And then, um, so actually, I, I have two quick stories. Um, the next slide, uh, a young woman named Shakila. Shakila is studying biotechnology and medical bioscience. Which means um, she's smarter than all of us. Yeah, I can't exactly tell you what that is exactly. But, um, and Shakila though, uh, she's been diagnosed with cancer twice. Once when she was a child, um, and once again when she was in high school. She did chemo, she survived. Um, and when you ask her why she's studying biotechnology, her answer is quite simple. She says, I want to find a cure for the disease that nearly ended my life. And I want to ensure that no child has to suffer in the way that I have suffered. And if you want to do that, though, you got to go to college and study biotechnology and medical bioscience, right? And so she's now uh, doing that. And then there's one more guy. Um, this is Chembo. Chembo grew up in a uh, thatched roof house, probably about the size of your dining room. Uh, every day after school growing up, he would go to the internet cafe and he taught himself how to use a computer. Now he's a top scholar studying computer science at one of the best universities in South Africa. Uh, and his dream is to be a uh, tech entrepreneur. He wants to start his own tech company. Uh, I met him last month. It was the first time that we ever hung out. And uh, he was a, he's, he's very, very, very shy, very, very reserved guy. We were going to do a, a video with him. I wasn't sure how it was all going to go. And the lights turn on, the camera turns on, and he just, bam, just lights up. And he was saying, you know, knowledge is not power. The application of knowledge is power. And you don't go to a company to work at that desk and just, and just work there because your job in 20 years is that you want to be the president of that company. And I'm like, oh my gosh, who is this guy, you know? <laughs> and again, so we're doing a um, business plan competition uh, starting next year where uh, we are going to provide some startup capital for a few students who want to start their own companies. And so I was telling Chembo about it, and he goes, Justin, I'm going to finish my exams, go home, and by January 1st, you will have my plan on your desk. And I'm like, man, you know, we're not really starting quite yet. We got some time. We got to raise some funding for it. And he's like, January 1st, I will be the first one, you know? <laughs> and so, again, it, like, this is the tenacity of our students, the passion of our students. They are so committed, so fired up, and they love, they, they love the Lord. They, they love others. They, they want to do great things. And, again, these are the, are the future leaders of Africa that then we get to invest in. And it's such a massive, massive privilege. I'm so excited to be in some of these countries in 10 years and seeing oh gosh, some of these students in places of culture-shaping influence um, and breaking into those medical fields and everything else. I, yeah. For how much we get to, to see, I just think this is, this is huge. Um, Justin, just because I've got you here, uh, mm -hmm. and I really respect you as a leader and the way that you've kind of chased after this thing over the last five years, um, can you tell me a little, just a little bit, for all of us, just maybe what God's taught you in the last little bit uh, and mm. throughout this whole process. Yeah, I think here is sort of sort of where it kind of gets gets real. In that, um, it's a great privilege for me to do this work. I'm so grateful for it, um, but it is really, really hard, and there is just massive, massive challenges. And and it's because 
there are dark forces in the world that want me to fail and want all of us to fail. And um, as someone who is kind of steering this, this sh ship, I, uh, I bear the brunt of that. There's a lot of fear in that. There's resistance in that uh, heavy, heavy stuff that I just kind of have to battle through. And so I've learned so much about how to lean into the Lord during those times, how to really ask Christ to fight those battles for me. That has been huge for me. Um, and, but then also beyond that, it's also about learning kind of what our whole role is in this massive kingdom unfolding of what God is actually doing in the world. And I've just learned and I've been um, so privileged for, for uh, the Lord to kind of help me understand that there are billions of people that he has recruited to be on mission to do amazing things in the world and that we just play a small role in that. And there are billions of folks beyond us. There are folks now and there are ones that, that are going to be doing this well after we are, are, are gone, you know? And when you begin to understand what your role is in this massive kingdom vision, um, you realize that one, that it's not about you at all, obviously, and um, also um, it helps kind of quell some of that fear because you don't uh, have to be perfect, and that um, and and God doesn't work with those people anyway, and that um, uh, these things that uh, we are are building will be shaky and they will need development. Um, and that is totally okay. And that has been massively liberating for me. Um, and actually, I have a prayer on my desk that I try and read every day that's a reminder of this, especially when I'm going through those times of just massive kind of uh, turmoil. And so I actually brought it. I was wondering if I could read it on stage. No, we don't, uh, you don't do that? You don't do that? No, okay. Yeah, no, go you don't do for that? It. So this is the prayer uh, by Archbishop Oscar Romero, or for him, it's called A Step Along the Way. It helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that, that the kingdom always lies beyond us. We plant the seeds that will one day grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. And there's a sense of liberation in realizing that. I love that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and to do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. So I love that. And that's been a massive reminder to me in those times of despair uh, and, and a hardship. Mm, I love it. So. We're going to pray for you in a second. But um, yeah. it's exciting. You know, the, a lot of times, you know, you can hear uh, conversations around, you know, what's going on around the world. And, and But how do we actually get involved? What does that actually look like for us? And um, you know, one of the ways, and I'll, I'll highlight Justin's right now just because he's here. There's a ton of different ways that you can uh, learn through the Giving Catalog, through Peace on Earth. But um, it costs about $3,600 to send a student to university in Uganda and Zimbabwe and most of these places. 
Um, and I know most of you parents are going like, what, 3600 I wish, and, right? <laughs> uh, and that's tuition, books, transport, and involvement in our program. Everything. So it's that's kind like of life. everything. Yeah, that's it's like, the whole thing. How much it, and yeah. so um, there are a ton of different ways that you can either, whether it's 300 bucks a month and just actually doing the whole deal, or um, if you're like, man, I only got like 25 bucks a month to be able to pay for like tuition or some of the, the yep. books or books. what have you. So Medical care. Right yep. outside, there is a table with um, a bunch of people and a bunch of these types of things. They would love to talk to you. Um, if this is something that resonates with you or resonates with your heart that you want to get behind, um, I'd encourage you to go, yeah. on, go and chat with them for sure. Yeah, Jeff's and then just, yeah, and I'm, I would love to talk to you. Uh, and, you know, the, the last thing is that, um, you know, we can easily absorb uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 new students in every single one of our programs every year. And so our issue is just a, a math issue, frankly. Mm -hmm. And so we would love it to have you guys come in and invest in a few of these students so that then we can invest in just so many more. Because, again, our big vision is thousands of these young leaders empowered and inspired to tackle the huge challenges in their, their countries and who want to serve God and who want to serve others. So it's a really, really great thing to get behind. Mm, I love it. Well, let me pray for you, buddy, yeah. and then I'll wrap up. Let's pray. If you guys are here and you're just stretching a hand, we just do this thing. It's not a Christianese thing. It's just like, this is a Jesus thing. We just want to like lay hands on, on Justin and the work as he's saying, um, you know, gosh, this is a ton of work. This is a huge burden. And uh, we just want to pray for you and cover you in that. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for Justin. Thank you for the way that you spoke to him on that, that park bench, the way that you called him into something bigger than himself. And Lord, I thank you for the obedience that he had to step into that and to actually go, you know what? Um, let's do this thing. Let's, I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm going to buy one of these you know, books for dummies and, and, and just give this thing a shot. And uh, Lord, you have been so faithful to be able to think that 350 students plus are being impacted by the work um, through these numbers have bases. That's just a sign of your grace and what you're doing. Uh, there's no way they could have built that. I know Justin, I know myself, there's no way we could have done this thing. Uh, but God, you are so big and you are so good and I know that you care so much for your children. And so God, we just ask that you would bless Justin, bless him and his wife, Trisha, uh, through um, all of the uh, incredible work that's before them. And God, if, if the vision that I believe you're giving them is as big as it is, he's going to need a ton of prayer and a ton of help. And so would you bring us together as the body of Christ, as just the church, to be able to support Justin and the work that you're doing all over the world. We just thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Thanks, thank you, buddy. Man. Well, something to think about as the band's kind of playing and, and kind of leading us into worship, I would ask, um, you know, what boxes do you have that, that you need Jesus just to blow up? I know I got a ton more. I know I'm a work in progress, and every single time I step outside my own little sphere, my own little family, um, I get moved and shaken up and, and, and sharpened, and these boxes continue to get blown up. And, and I would encourage you, just ask the Lord, just Jesus, what, what am I holding tight? What, am I, what, are, what are my what small views do I have of certain things? What am I, um, you know, where do I just need to figure out how to love you and love others and do that well? And, and who is that in your life? What are those, those areas? Um, I got one picture. Can you throw up that? I don't know if you can do this at all, but one picture I missed. Um, this is my aunt. Uh, it's my Aunt Nancy. It's 
probably um, in my family the most important person um, for my side of the family. This is the only believer in my entire family is Nancy. Everyone else is still Baha'i or uh, agnostic or, you know, any of that. But Nancy has been a follower of Jesus her whole life. And she has been praying for me since I was that little. That's me on the left. It's my brother on the right. Um, and I remember when I came to know the Lord and being able to call her and share with her, uh, you know, Nancy, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus now. And just the joy that she, she had. But I, I bring this picture up for a couple of reasons. Um, I think she's one of the reasons why I'm built the way that I am. I mean, I grew up around her. Um, she taught me how to spell <laughs> off that little board. If I wanted to talk to her, I needed to learn how to spell. So I'm not a very good speller, but I could figure out the words. I could mouth them out. Um, she uh, gave me a huge passion for those that are completely sidelined, not listened to, and don't have a voice. Um, one of the reasons why my wife and I's favorite place to go to in the world is in India, happy home for the handicap, is because of my aunt. I think every single one of us have reasons why we're built the way we do. Justin uh, is passionate about education. He's passionate about injustice around Africa. There's a reason of that. You listen to his story. You listen to his background and kind of where that comes from and this idea that he's going to deny others what he doesn't deny for himself. There's a reason he's that way. I think there's a reason I'm the way that I am. There's a reason you're the way that you are and that you were called into pouring out and loving on the least of these. And um, Nancy's it for me. I know Jose cried last time, and I'm really trying not to tear up right now because I heard him cry last week on the deal, and it's like I'm like on a Charlie Rose interview or something like that, but I'm not going to do it, but I would ask you to think through, God, where, why am I the way that I am? How have you built me, and where do you want my heart to break? Where do you want me to pour out and be a part of? And um, this isn't all of them. This is just a few of them, but there are some ways that you can get involved in the needs around the world here in Portland and around the world, and there's a ton of different ways. Um, and, and I would just ask, Lord, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? Where can you break open some of those boxes? How can I follow you? How can I learn to be a lover of God and a lover of others? That's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for you guys. I love you guys. Thank you so much for giving us uh, your time tonight. It's been a blessing.